Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We have a exciting program in store for you. So glad you could join us. And if you can give us 90 minutes, you're going to be able to make contact with my broadcast partners via they appearing at the broadcast table and giving us reports from different regions of this world, helping us to understand how geopolitical activities actually are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. In our second half hour, I'll bring the National Director of Friends of Israel, Steve Herzig, to the broadcast table for the purpose of talking to us about the very important Jewish Holy Day, Purim, and why Purim had to happen in order for Jesus Christ to be born. And then Dr. Don D. Young, he's an astronomer. We're going to have him in a conversation discussing the rover landing on Mars and what does that mean in the scientific world. So keep the dial where it is for this 90 minutes and we'll give you the world some very important reports coming our way. We're going now to Ken Timmerman. Ken's the man who does cover geopolitical events for us. And Ken is a double dipper today. We were in Jacksonville, not me, I'm in Chattanooga. Uh, but my video team there in Jacksonville, where Ken is located today, and they did some video filming. We're preparing to do the third of an hour trilogy, starting with presidents, politics, and prophecy, and then the second in the trilogy is the United States in Bible prophecy. And since we concluded it is not, then what about the demise of America? Ken is going to be a part of that. We're thrilled that he was able to give us some time to be able to record. Thank you so much, Ken. Looking forward to this completion of this project. You bet, Jimmy. Pleasure to be with you. Let's get to the geopolitical activities. That's why I have you on the radio right now. I'm hearing a report supposedly coming from the Department of Defense here in America says there's a real possibility of a nuclear war between the United States, Russia, and our China. What do you know? Well, Jimmy, this was uh, quite an astonishing statement to me from the commander of Strategic Command. That's all of our nuclear weapons forces, Admiral Charles Richard, who said in an article that he published just recently that the DOD, the Defense Department, for the first time, for the first time since the collapse of the Soviet Union, now sees a real possibility of a nuclear war or a conventional war that becomes a nuclear war with either China or Russia. This is, I think, an incredibly dramatic statement. Our military leaders are not inclined to make statements like this. They are not inclined to make statements that uh, kind of openly presage the potential of war. So I take this very seriously. And I think, uh, you know, it is certain what is based on that I can see is the dramatic expansion of the nuclear weapons capabilities of both Russia and China. Russia pushing the edges of the START agreement with the United States and having engaged in the past decade in a massive, massive overhaul of their strategic nuclear weapons capabilities. The whole triad, ground-based missiles air-launched missiles, sea-launched missiles, the whole shebang, if you wish. And it's 
$50 billion on that military modernization Putin has spent, even at a time when Russia has been under sanctions and uh, hard-pressed economically. Let's uh, keep a focus on China just for a moment more. We know that China has a goal to be the number one economic power of the world. And a report coming out this week that China has overtaken the United States as the European Union's biggest trading partner. This is enhancing that opportunity to be number one economically, isn't it? It is, Jimmy, and this is just a initial step on China accomplishing its goal that it has stated repeatedly of becoming the world's largest economic power, the world's largest economy. They are on, on track to surpass the United States in a year, two years, three years, probably not longer than that, and COVID has helped them. With the EU, China is now their top trading partner. They edged out the United States. Their trade during the COVID crisis actually expanded from, I think, $671 billion to $709 billion in over the year of 2020, whereas the United States decreased because of the COVID restrictions. So China benefited, clearly benefited from COVID in their trade with China as they exported medical goods in particular. I think that's on a way to continue. They are now Europe's primary trading partner. We need to keep a focus on Iran, no matter what else may be going on in the world. Notice that the Supreme Leader is sending a demand to the Biden administration. He wants action, not words, as it relates to a renewal of the nuclear deal. Pretty strong decision-making process working there at the headquarters of the leadership of Iran. Well, we'll see if this backfires or not. I tend to think that issuing a demand that the U.S. remove sanctions before February 23rd, I mean, this is a demand with a deadline, right? <laughs> Which is the way you got to do it if you want to get real. I think that could just have a, the opposite effect. We will all know in a week uh, if the Biden regime caves on this kind of flimsy demand and actually does remove sanctions or start to remove sanctions over the next week, I would say this bodes really poorly for our strategic position in the world over the next four years. I just don't think they can do that. First of all, sanctions take a while to unwind, so it's going to take more than just a week to unwind the sanctions. But second of all, to be seen as caving, even for Biden, who's very pro-Tehran, who is a friend with their foreign minister, Zarif. They've known each other for 20 years. Even for Biden to give in to this kind of direct, blatant, aggressive demand, I think, would be too much. Now, if he does not, the Iranians have said, well, we are going to continue to violate the terms of the 2015 nuclear deal. They're already violating the terms of the deal. They're already doing it. They're installing a new generation of centrifuges in the Tans. They're not supposed to do that under the deal. They've already been enriching uranium up to 20%. They're not supposed to do that under the deal. So the Iranians have already violated the deal. What worse are they going to do if Biden doesn't cave to them next week? Can I understand that Iran is saying they there is a possibility they could deploy some 200 missiles in Iraq to attack Israel? However, does that mean that Iraq is becoming the next theater for the Israeli-Iranian war situation? Uh, well, that's becoming increasingly likely. There have been a number of reports out of Israel 
including a public statement by my good friend Amos Yadlin, who's the former director of military intelligence and had been the Israeli military attaché to Washington, which is where I first got to know him. Amos Yadlin this past week told the Israeli media that uh, he thought it was true, these reports, that Israel had launched attacks inside Iraqi territory against Iranian missile depots using F-35 stealth aircraft. Now, that's the first. It's the longest known active-duty deployment, combat deployment of the F-35, about 600 miles from Israel, and they reportedly took out Iranian missiles that would be hid in refrigerated tractor trailers. A big deal. Shows tremendous Israeli military capability, but also shows tremendous Israeli intelligence to be able to locate the missiles. The Iranians have now said that they want to move 200 missiles to Iraq so they can bracket Israel from yet another country, in addition to Lebanon and to Syria. I think they're going to find some interesting response from the Israeli Air Force, should they be so unwise to do that. I can't believe this one, Ken. This report says that President Biden has finally made a telephone call to Prime Minister Netanyahu after a long, long delay, something like, I think, 27 days or something. Finally is good, but it should have been earlier, don't you think? Well, yeah, it's been a month, actually, a full month since his inauguration, and he's called just about every world leader, or had Kamala Harris call world leaders a first, to my knowledge, for a vice president to actually carry out calls to world leaders. But look, Bibi Netanyahu has tried to defuse this to say, ah, oh, don't worry, it's not serious. Biden has been a personal friend for 40 years, which is true. You know, Netanyahu is, is somebody who has really been around and knows America in and out. He has friends on both sides of the political aisle, and he's done that very purposefully because the leader of Israel, he cannot be seen as linked to one American political party even if there's a great deal of precedent, unfortunately, in recent administrations, starting with the Clinton administration, to personally attack Bibi Netanyahu and to subvert his political campaigns. They've done it to both the Obama administration and the Clinton administration, sent political consultants to Israel to work for his opposition to try to get Bibi unelected as prime minister. But again, as I say, he's trying to defuse the situation. And Biden, in his statement after the call, said the call went well. They talked about longstanding U.S.-Israeli interests. It was the typical sort of diplomatic problem that you normally expect. One interesting point, and a key point, I think, was where Biden says, yes, we support Israel's efforts to make peace with Arab states, but we want to make sure that you work with the Palestinians and make peace with the Palestinians. So this is where they're going. The Biden White House wants to focus on the PLO, the Palestinians, and we'll see how Prime Minister Netanyahu reacts to that. Yes, indeed we will. I guess better later than never. And in fact, uh, the first one, the first call to any Middle Eastern leader from Biden was to the Prime Minister of Israel. Ken, thank you so very much, not only for helping us in our video production, The Demise of America, but joining us on the broadcast today to give us your great insight to geopolitical activities. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. You bet, Jimmy. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure doing the taping. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. David Dolan standing by. 
He'll come to the broadcast table with his Middle East news update in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. You know, Jerusalem, according to Ezekiel 5, 5, is the center of the earth. When you look at other locations in God's prophetic word, where it refers to the city of Jerusalem, you'll see it's the location where God has selected to dwell among his people forever. That's Psalm 132. And the location where Jesus will return to build his temple and rule and reign from that temple forever. That's Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. May I suggest you might want to get a copy of my five-hour audio series entitled simply Jerusalem. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the Prophecy Bookstore and make your purchase of my five-hour audio series entitled Jerusalem. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. We are going to have David Dolan give us his Middle East news update in this segment. This is a must-listen-to report on the Middle East, a key region in this world as it relates to the prophetic scenario that is found in in God's Word. That's why we always go to David. He's been a journalist in that region of the world for over 30 years, basically knows the geography like the back of his hand, and in his mind, he has an understanding of all the events that are unfolding. David, I hear that President Biden finally has got a hold of Prime Minister Netanyahu on the telephone. What can you tell us about this phone call? Yes, he was among the top ten. He was the ninth, they said, world leader that he called. So not right away, of course. It took 27 days after Biden took office for the call. It was an hour-long call, Jimmy. The prime minister's office released pictures of him smiling on the phone. He said he had a very good talk with Biden, that it went well. 
and that it was friendly, that they both acknowledged their personal ties over the years. They've worked together on various issues, and they did, though, say that they discussed the region and Iran without going into any details. Later, we heard from the Prime Minister's office that Biden did not inform him that the next day, in the evening, Thursday evening, he was going to announce he would seek to rejoin the Iran nuclear deal. That was not apparently shared with the prime minister, but Thursday morning, the White House said it called Jerusalem and informed them that that was coming later in the day. So they did have some advanced knowledge of that. And the White House on its side said the call went well. And uh, an hour was a pretty good amount of time to be talking. And of course, uh, Netanyahu, having gone to high school in Massachusetts, is fluent in English. Yes, and that great conversation was key because I understand this was the first call to any Middle Eastern nation, the Arab and or the Jewish nation in that entire region of the world. However, speaking of the situation about the Iranian nuclear deal, I understand that Israel may not engage President Biden on his plans to restore that Iranian nuclear deal and the strategy. What do you know about that? Well, Netanyahu's office put out a statement uh, reiterating a total Israeli opposition to that flawed deal, as they called it, negotiated and signed in 2015. And they are again urging that the United States not rejoin it. However, Jimmy, the White House made plain that the Iranians would have to first cease enriching uranium up to 20% like they're doing now, which is a violation of the deal, and other things they've done, opening up new centrifuges, which was against the deal, and they've threatened to stop all UN inspections from next Tuesday if there wasn't a commitment to restart the nuclear accord. So it is clear the U.S. is going to negotiate. It's not just going to jump into the deal as it was. And the Iranians are continuing to say, first you lift all sanctions and then we'll talk. Well, the White House is saying the opposite, that they must halt these violations and then slowly sanctions might be lifted. So it's really still not clear, Jimmy, that the deal will be re-entered by the United States in the end, but certainly that is the intention to rejoin it uh, on the White House part, and certainly Israel is still very much opposed to that. And meanwhile, Iran could, they are saying, deploy some 200 missiles in Iraq for the purpose of attacking Israel. Uh, That's not a good move forward, is it? No, the Iranians are taking advantage of the weak government in Iraq, apparently, to uh, strengthen their forces and their allied forces there. The Iraqi uh, branch of Hezbollah has been growing in power and strength, and they've been transferring a lot of weapons there. But as we mentioned last week, Israeli jets are said to have struck an Iranian convoy just after it crossed from Iraq into Syria on its way to Hezbollah in Lebanon. And, of course, Hezbollah has a big force, over a 1,000 precision-guided rockets that can precisely hit targets. That upgrade coming from Iran, and they remain a major enemy. But Iraq joining the scene, well, Jimmy, you know there was a major military exercise, Air Force exercise, three days starting last Sunday in the Galilee called the Rose of Galilee, Vered Hagalil, 
in uh, Hebrew exercise, and they uh, stated the IDF afterwards that they hit 3,000 simulated Hezbollah targets in just one day. Well, it was uh, several weeks in the war of 2006 before they hit 4,000 targets. So if that's the case, if they are able to do that, that's a major upgrade on Israel's part. But uh, growing indications that there could be war, but it's part of that exercise, Jimmy. They included uh, rockets from Iraq, rockets from Syria, and attacks from Yemen, drone attacks. So all of those were factored into that uh, snap of very large, the largest ever Air Force exercise held earlier this week. One of the continuing stories that David and I cover would be the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the Palestinian PR department, their propaganda machine, has been using the term State of Palestine. In fact, they have got many of the world leaders referring to the state of Palestine as well. I'm wondering, is that phrase going to catch on, though it's not the truth, and cause some political decisions to be made based upon that propaganda? Well, Jimmy, it it probably will add to that, but we've got to remember this has been the case for some years now. If you look at UN meetings, there is a Palestine delegation, and the plaque says Palestine, and uh, some of the the PLO members are are recognized as not being a state, but it looks like they're a state, and they're addressed as Palestine when they get involved in some of the issues. They're allowed to debate, not vote on most things, but they're allowed to debate and propose things. That's true at the U.N. court in The Hague. That's true in a lot of international bodies, actually. So it's not a new thing. It's just not a reality that there is a state of Palestine, there's a Palestinian enclave that Israel has partial control over. They certainly have full autonomy in many areas, in all the large Arab cities in Judea and Samaria. They have total control over the Gaza Strip. If there's any real Palestinian state, it would be Gaza, but even that isn't officially recognized by most of the world. So it's a muddled situation. It's their goal, but not the reality. Those that really believe that God's plan for the Jewish people is being unfolded today are going to be excited about the news that the United States Embassy, which was moved from Tel Aviv over to Jerusalem, they're going to continue construction, and it's been approved for that to take place on that U.S. Embassy there in Jerusalem. Update us. Well, yes, Jimmy, and just uh, late-breaking news that uh, another country is going to move its embassy to Jerusalem. Now, it's Guinea. It's the small country, uh, Equatorial Guinea, but nevertheless, it's a country and another embassy moving there. Yes, the U.S. Embassy, they've announced plans for several new building projects right next door to the embassy is another six-story building going in, and then further down the road, uh, apartments and office building going in. So, That commitment remains strong, and uh, as I've been saying all along, there was no chance that Joe Biden would reverse that decision. It was uh, popular amongst many Democrats, especially Jewish Democratic senators, including Chuck Schumer. That will stay in place, and the Israelis at least don't have to worry about a reversal of that policy from the Trump administration. Talk to me about the Jewish Holy Day, which takes place this next week, Purim. 
I'm going to talk with Steve Herzig about the details of Purim, but uh, looks like there's going to be high security and somewhat subdued activity there in Israel for Purim this year. Oh, definitely it won't be normal, but that's been true of all of the holidays since, well, a year ago this month, the coronavirus first detected in Israel and, of course, in many places around the world. So uh, it will be different, Jimmy. But, of course, it focuses on the ancient Persian decree to kill all the Jews and how God miraculously delivered them. So it always has a modern meaning today since, of course, modern Persia is Iran vowing to wipe out television even hyphen all these things israel remaining strong and the military exercise earlier this week reminding the world they're determined to defend themselves if they have to do it again but they continue to look to god at least many israelis do to be the key factor there and i and you believe he is indeed still watching over israel and will continue to do that, actually, throughout eternity. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East, he has a journalist, has been doing that type of duty for so many years. He's very knowledgeable of what's going on. That's why we go to David. David, thank you so much for your Middle East news update. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless going to take a quick break and then we will bring Steve Herzig to the broadcast table to discuss the Jewish Holy Day of Purim. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. In a moment, we will bring Steve Herzig. Steve is the National Director of Friends of Israel. We'll bring him to the broadcast table to talk about the Jewish Holy Day of Purim. I want to remind you at the end of this half hour in our 90-minute broadcast, three half-hour segments, we're going to have Dr. Don DeYoung talking about the Mars rover and the exploration of Mars, trying to see if there was ever possibility of life on Mars. You don't want to miss that conversation. It's going to be very, very interesting. Well, as said, let's go to Steve Herzig. Steve is not only the National Director of Friends of Israel, but he's an author, written two books I know of, Jewish Culture and Customs, Volumes 1 and 2, available at the website for Friends of Israel, foi.org, or you can come to my Prophecy Bookstore 
on my website, prophecytoday.com, and be able to purchase these two excellent resource materials for your study of the Jewish people. Steve, so glad to have you along. We periodically join with you to talk about a Jewish holy day or holiday that is significant. And I would have to say Purim is outside of the seven feast mentioned there in Leviticus. This is a very important feast day. And the book of Esther gives us the record of Purim. Would you rehearse for our listeners this very, very important holy day for the Jewish people? Well, I sure will try, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on today. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Yes, this is not part of the seven feasts that were given in Leviticus, but nonetheless, an extremely important day. The Bible says in the book of Esther, which, by the way, Jimmy, they call the Megillah. In fact, in our English idioms, we use, I'll do the whole Megillah, or I'll do that Megillah, which means I'll do the whole thing, because on Purim, the Jewish people are in the synagogue, and they're reading the book of Esther, the whole book of Esther. I have wonderful memories of my father taking me to synagogue, hand-in-hand, and sitting in the synagogue. And it's a celebration, Jimmy, of the preservation of the Jewish people. Our listeners probably know the basic story, the book of Esther. Ahasuerus is celebrating the fact that he's conquered a great portion of the world. In chapter 1, he's displaying all the goodies he has and they're celebrating for a long period of time. He brings out his wife, although she declines the invitation to come, Queen Vashti, and so a search is made. He doesn't want to be embarrassed by his wife. He puts her away, looking for another number one wife of his many wives, and uh, Mordecai asks his cousin to participate. They're Jewish. Being there, they shouldn't really be there. They should actually be in Israel, where the opportunity had presented itself to go back. But they're still there. Business is good. Assimilation is great among the people. And Mordecai gets his cousin to enter the contest, and Jimmy, she wins the contest. And unbeknownst to Haman, he wants all the people in the kingdom to bow down to him. The Jewish people, even though they've compromised and have not gone back to the land, they will not compromise and bow down to a false god. Mordecai, certainly one of them. And in chapter 3, Jimmy, and this is why it's so significant prophetically, and I know that's a key for you and and your listeners, because in chapter 3 and verse 8, it said, And Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people. Oh, Jimmy, we are living in a day where there's a certain people. In this context, it's the Jewish people today. It could be people who believe in America and the Constitution, or in America and the Bible, anything. We are then set aside, marginalized as a people, and that's what happened. These people were not profitable for the king, and and Haman wanted to wipe them all out. The king signed the document, believe it or not, and on a set day, the Jewish people were to be slaughtered, killed, if not for Queen Esther, who saved the day in a wonderful story and was willing to put her own life on the line. She's quoted all the time, if I perish, I perish. She was not going to go down without a fight. She identifies with her people. The king reconsiders. He can't change his decree, but he issues another decree. The Jewish people defend themselves. It's a great story. Israel today 
defends itself. It's a wonderful story of how the Jewish people can defend themselves and, and will defend themselves, and God saves the day. It's interesting, though, Jimmy, God's name isn't even mentioned there. Not one place in the book of Esther is God's name mentioned. But I would argue, and I know you support me, Jimmy, God was there all the time. Absolute evidence of his protecting hand for his chosen people, the Jewish people. There is in the book of Esther a command to the Jewish people to celebrate annually this very special holy day. Talk to us about that and why is that the case and actually what does take place. You mentioned going into the synagogue. What else happens? Oh, Jimmy, like every Jewish holiday, minus Yom Kippur, where you fast, there's food, always food. And uh, hamantashen is the food that's eaten at Purim. It's a triangle pastry. Sometimes it's kreplach, which is a, a pasta, which has meat in it. The idea is to remember the hat of Haman, and they, they celebrate and clap and boo when Haman's name is mentioned. They boo his name, they clap for Mordecai. Uh, so there's a meal that's had. They read the whole book of Esther in the synagogue, the whole Megillah, it's called. They give gifts to friends and family called Mishloach Manot, which is uh, just food gifts. We celebrate with food. And so these combination of things, it's just a wonderful celebration. i got to tell you, Jimmy, I know you've been in Israel. Amongst the very, very Orthodox, they're actually supposed to get drunk, where you can't tell the difference between the name of of Mordecai and the name of Haman. That's amongst the ultra-Orthodox. We never did that in our family. My father would have frowned on something like that. But nonetheless, the rabbis say you're allowed to do it only on forum. I have been to a Jewish Orthodox synagogue during the day of Purim. You said that your dad would take you, and you loved that opportunity to be there on Purim. What did you all do as they read through the book of Esther? We would sit through the book. It's all recited in Hebrew. And as I said, when the name of Haman is mentioned, the synagogue would go crazy, booing and hissing, just like if you were at a football or baseball game and you were against the other team and they did something, you'd boo and hiss. Well, that's, that's what we did. It's the idea that, ha- that Haman was an evil man. Ha- Haman wanted to destroy the Jews. Mordecai and Esther were the hero and heroine of the story. We applaud them. We're grateful for them. And the idea of the preservation of the Jewish people, Jimmy, I always say it when I'm in a congregation preaching, if, if it weren't for a feast day, a holiday like Purim, there wouldn't be Christianity, because if all the Jews were killed then, there would be no David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I do believe that is key for a Christian really to understand, but in essence, for the Jew to understand as well. Uh, We've already talked about the fact that God's name is not mentioned in Esther, uh, but I agree 100% with you that he is evident in his protection of the Jewish people and preserving them for a time which was to bring forth Jesus Christ. Go a little bit deeper into the fact that Purim is key for the coming of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, Jimmy, I always believed from the time I became a believer and, and was beginning to grow, grow in grace and knowledge that this book actually contains the gospel, the good news. You have Ahasuerus, the king, who who's once he issues a decree can't change the decree, and his first decree is to 
kill the Jewish people. And when he finds out from Esther that she's Jewish and his decree is going to kill her people, he issues a second decree. You know, we know that that God, when he created man, uh, he said the soul that sins dies. He said, in the day you eat that fruit, you will surely die. He can't change that decree. Then there's Haman. Haman is the adversary, the accuser. He goes to Haman, to uh, the king, and wants the Jewish people killed, and he connives a way for that to happen. And then we know that Satan did the same thing in the garden, connived and schemed and uh, tempted Eve and Adam to sin, which they did. And then there's Esther, who was willing to die for her people to save them, And, of course, Jimmy, we have the Lord Jesus Christ sent by the Father to incarnate on the earth, and he just doesn't offer himself. He goes to the cross. He dies. No no human being could put him there if he didn't want to be there, and that was his purpose. So Esther represents that salvation, that she's willing to put her life on the line, and, of course, uh, she doesn't have to do that. And so you really have the gospel contained in the book of Esther. And we can see it. We can see that God has his hand upon the Jewish people to preserve them. And no matter what happens, and you can look through Jewish history time and time again without an army, a navy, without a country for a long period of time, God preserved his people, protected his people, uh, and will continue to do so, bringing them back into the land, which I believe is a part of what he's doing now. And then, uh, as we know, after the rapture of the church, a period of the 70th week of Daniel, the Lord Jesus, the greatest son of, of David, will come. His feet will touch down, not there in Chattanooga, Jimmy, not here in Philadelphia, but right on the Mount of Olives in Israel, and he will be and is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, seated on David's seat of throne. Steve, I've got to say that was an excellent way to use the Book of Esther to give the gospel, and especially to your Jewish friends Folks, if you're listening to this conversation, you may want to re-listen to it, get what Steve was able to give us as it relates to the gospel, and share that with your Jewish friends, a perfect opportunity, especially at the time of Purim, upcoming next week. One final question for you. You just alluded to it. Is Purim not only a presentation of the gospel, but as they look into the future and the persecution that the Jews are going to have to face, especially when Satan and the evil angels are thrown out of heaven down to the earth? Jimmy, I think you stated it well. We live in North America. We live in a time and a place where what we think of suffering is for many people in the world blessing. But there will be a time, a a terrible time, that God has outlined, the time of Jacob's trouble. And that has to happen. Zechariah says two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed. And we could, we could certainly spend time talking about that, but I'd much rather talk about we're more than conquerors. Anyone, Jewish or Gentile, who receives Christ, the Messiah, literally Christ means Messiah, the Anointed One, will not taste death, in this, but they'll have life. So even if we're absent from the body... We'll be present with the Lord, but when he comes in person, he'll come visibly, or every eye will see him. And so, Jimmy, either people will bow because he forces them to bow, or you and I and others like us will bow gladly as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the voice of Steve Herzig. He is the National Director of Friends of Israel. 
has written a couple of books entitled Jewish Culture and Customs. Come to my website, prophecytoday.com. You can purchase them there. Steve, always a joy to be able to talk with you. We don't do it really often throughout the year, but when the Jewish Holy Days come up, we have to have a conversation. Thank you for this one. We'll look forward to the next one. Jimmy, I always look forward to it. It's a blessing and an honor. Thank you. Very interesting conversation with Steve Herzig talking about Purim, a special Jewish holy day. And I especially was excited about Steve being able to give us the gospel found in the book of Esther so that we can pass that along to our Jewish friends. Be sure to do that. Very great opportunity for us today. Well, we're now going to the European Union this is a key region and political operation in our world and especially key to the understanding of biblical prophecy that is actually unfolding today here in our world. The man covering that for us who lived in Brussels, Belgium for a number of years, John Rood. And John, I'm excited to have you aboard I know that you're at this point in time in El Paso, Texas. You're able to sustain life with all this snow hitting Texas? Right. We had a big storm. We had a big storm, but so far we're so good. Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad to hear that. Let me get underway with the questions and issues we want to deal with. Understand that China has overtaken the United States as the European Union's largest trading partner. What can you tell us? This is a substantial, important report, you know, that China actually is the EU's biggest trading partner. Of course, the U.S. has been in that place, but the trade between China and the EU last year was $709 billion. With the U.S., and this is including imports and exports, only $671 billion. So, of course, we know that a lot of the influence follows the economics, and EU has been working with China and has signed a, a major investment deal, and so China's influence is growing in the European Union, and this was a milestone to take first-place trading partner. Looks like that the European Union will have an opportunity to choose its own path as they try to develop a relationship with both the United States and China. Quite an interesting opportunity for the EU at this time, isn't it? The EU is becoming a little polarized. Of course, during the Trump administration, the EU was very pressured, and the idea was, oh, well, things are going to go back to how they were before. I can see that's not directly the case. But I do see that, you know, there's forces at work here to promote EU and China. We have China and even Russia that are quite vocal. So the EU probably wants to continue to work as much as they can with the United States and with China. But China and Russia, as I said, they're being vocal that EU makes a decision. The Biden administration, John, has been promising they're going to restart the Iranian nuclear deal between the United States and Iran. Meanwhile, at the United Nations, the Iranian envoy is saying that the European Union will have a role in salvaging 
this Iranian deal. Talk to us about that. This is in the same spirit of what we just precisely mentioned, that the EU is being pressured by such nations, China, Russia, and Iran, saying that they, you know, need to do these particular roles to be more independent and so forth. So Iran is actually encouraging Europe to be independent in the role of the Iranian nuclear deal. Iran is insisting nuclear weapons have no place in their defensive doctrine. The EU likes to be empowered. They like to feel that they're making decisions, but here it's often manipulation. NATO, as we do well know, is the military component for the European Union brought into existence to protect the European Union member states from Russia. However, I understand that NATO is agreeing there is a larger component in Iraq for a training force because of the violence that's arising there. And this is quite interesting since Iran is a major player in the rebuilding of that war-torn country of Iraq as well. Talk to us about that issue. Yeah, NATO defense ministers are going to expand the military presence in Iraq, and as you mentioned, there's there's been a few attacks, so they would raise the troops to a few thousand. There's still differences between NATO and actually some form of EU uh, military structures that are there. Um, but we see that this would be training activities, uh, you know, against, namely, Islamic State. Uh, troops would be primarily British, Turkish, and Danish. But uh, NATO appears to be expanding influence because of the threat and the attacks uh, in Iraq specifically. And so this would be a, a new development. And, of course, a development that we need to watch closely because the European Union ultimately wants to have its own military force apart from NATO. John, thank you for this very important report. We need to hear what's going on politically in the European Union as it is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. Thank you so much for this report. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. That's exactly it. Thank you so much. You know, it's key always to have a report, a European Union update from John Root, a key region of the world politically, and it will be prophetically as well. Well, I'm excited about my next conversation. It's going to be with Dr. Don DeYoung. He's an astronomer, a scientist, he's an author, he's just a good friend of us and a broadcast partner right here on Prophecy Today. Don, I was watching NASA headquarters as the rover landed on Mars. They had an idea of what may be going on. They tried to give us an idea of that. It was exciting. They broke into applause. They were very much excited about this. Let me ask you, Don, the Perseverance rover, it landed on Mars. How special a scientific event is this? Well, yes, Jimmy, that is some current events in the astronomy world. Perseverance, it was successful. The challenge is that Mars is about 11 light minutes away, and so you can't control it. It's, it's on its own when it lands, but it turned out all right. I guess what's special is that this is the latest technology. 
that craft has over 20 cameras on board, and we'll take a good look at this near neighbor of ours, the planet Mars. And because of the sophisticated equipment they have on this rover, I mean, it's going to mean more than any other rover that has basically landed on Mars before. Is that right? Well, that's true. Although, uh, keep in mind, Jimmy, that we've sent dozens of probes to Mars. In fact, combining with other countries, over 50. Now, most of them have failed, but the ones that have succeeded... We've already taken a good look at Mars and, uh, you know, studied it somewhat, but this will go further. Uh, this Perseverance is able to drill into the crust of uh, Mars and eventually return samples, and there's a microphone. There's just some new features we haven't had before, so we'll learn more about that corner of God's creation. Until man is able to get there, they'll have to rely upon this recent rover a landing on Mars. Don, you mentioned that that's a very close neighbor of our own Earth itself. But that's not true all year long, is it, and all the time? Well, Mars certainly does vary in its distance from us since uh, we're in, you know, we are all orbiting the sun. Uh, Right now, Mars is over 100 million miles away. Now, actually, Perseverance traveled three times that, 300 million miles, just because it had a curved trajectory. So, yes, it depends whether we're on the same side of the sun or on opposite sides, but either way, it's in the hundreds of millions of miles. And, uh, uh, of course, beyond Mars, we have uh, other planets as well, even much further away. Don, actually, what will the scientists be looking for? I understand they believe they may find evidence of life at some time, and they mention billions of years ago there on Mars. What's wrong with that statement? Well, that's the assumption that uh, life evolves, that uh, life begins spontaneously, and if that did happen on the Earth, then why doesn't it help happen elsewhere? And so this search for uh, life goes on, and as we know, after a whole lifetime of this um, uh, space age, We don't have a shred of evidence of life anywhere else besides on Earth. They'll continue to look on Mars above the ground and below the ground surface, and so far we're coming up zero. Now, if we do find any kind of microbes on Mars, uh, uh, I would say that that was God's plan, but uh, that is doubtful. It looks more and more like we are unique, like life is on this planet Earth from pole to pole and everywhere, and it's very special in the universe. I know that NASA was responsible for this unbelievable scientific event that took place within the last 24 hours or so. Was there any other nation involved in this, and is it a race to try to find out this information by the nations of the world? Well, I would say there's no longer a race in space. Certainly different uh, countries are looking toward this because it helps their technology and their scientific progress. China has a probe quite similar that uh, we'll be doing a search on Mars. And I know the United Arab Emirates, they also have a probe. It almost becomes kind of a status point to be able to shoot into space in that way. But there's plenty of room out there, and I don't see a big competition. Now, just like there was a race to the moon back in the 60s and 70s, as we get closer to getting to Mars, there the the competition might uh, pick up. And uh, that could happen within the next couple of decades. We'll, we'll see how, how that goes along traveling to Mars. 
I realize that they're looking for evidence of life on Mars, and they mention within billions of years. Of course, I don't think that's a possibility. Creation taking place somewhere in the area of about 6,000 years ago. But according to the scriptures, and I think of Isaiah chapter 48, Earth is to be inhabited, but not any other planet. Would you think that's correct, the Bible correct on that issue? I certainly do agree with that, Jimmy. And one could also turn to Psalm 115, verse 16, where it says, The earth has been given to man, but the heavens belong to God. So when we think of other planets in deep space, certainly there's a spirit world. But as far as aliens, as far as evolved life, no evidence, and I think Scripture denies that whole idea. God's universe is glorious. We can say His glory. Psalm 19 says, Look up into the heavenlies to see the glory of the Lord. But because of creation, according to Revelation 1, He said, I'm the beginning and the end, the Creator, and He is the one that is the spirit of prophecy. Creation and what they're doing out there gives us a real foundation for believing in the prophetic truth of God's Word as well, doesn't it? Well, it certainly is, Jimmy. When you look at the colors of space and the endless variety, it shows God's artistry, the work of His fingers, and it's all under His control. And, of course, we have in the promise of Scripture of a new heavens and new earth, eventually, when God will reprogram the whole system in His time. In his time. You've used that phrase several times. I love it. In his time. That's just the bottom line statement. Don, thank you so very much for being with us. I knew that we had to have a conversation when we're talking about a rover landing on Mars. So thank you for giving me some time to be able to talk to you, my good friend. We'll talk again when something else exciting in the heavenlies, our scientific world, takes place. Certainly, Jimmy. Good to be here. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, one more broadcast partner, David James, and we're going to discuss the issue of death. You do not want to miss this conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. Welcome to the last half hour of our program of 90 Minutes Prophecy Today. So glad you could stay all the way. David James, standing by, will be discussing death in our conversation. You don't want to miss it. Please do me a favor. Answer my poll question, if you will. It's located on my home page of my website, prophecytoday.com. Scroll down on the left-hand column. Here's the question. Do you believe that death for a Christian means to be in the Lord's presence forever, and death for a lost person is to be in hell forever? That's the poll question. Please answer it at prophecytoday.com. Also, remember, I do Facebook and YouTube, my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I, in our weekly conversation, take an issue and we endeavor to give you a biblical and or a prophetic perspective 
on that particular issue. It's a very important part of this broadcast, and we do believe because of the response from your emails, we understand that you are listening and appreciate this. David, this week, uh, we've received some emails that had two different perspectives concerning whether or not there will be a widespread revival as we get closer to the Lord's return. And I know that there are different pastors and teachers who have opposing views on this as well. Talk to us about this. Well, Jimmy, this is a topic I think we may have touched on here in one of our weekly discussions, and it does come up from time to time. The one listener wrote this, I don't know if you pay any attention to the prophetic network of those like Dutch Sheets, but it's a great encouragement for our critical time in history, and we can get a great deal from them. And then she continued, I believe it's time for all the streams of authentic Christianity to come together, putting aside our differences in these end times. I believe, as Dutch and many other prophets do, that God is giving us a window of opportunity to save as many in a soon-coming day of revival before Jesus comes back. But then another listener would disagree, and uh, he wrote this, I hear these prophets say God is going to clean up our country and the White House and send a great revival, and there will be an end-time harvest, but I don't see this in Scripture. And then he continued, they say there will be a world revival, but I see the Bible saying men's hearts will become hard as they seek pleasure and are lovers of themselves more than God. I'm kind of confused. So, Jimmy, I think you and I would agree with the second listener rather than the first for several reasons. Uh, First, there will be a time in the future when many are saved, but that's during the tribulation after the rapture. And while there may be localized revivals ahead of us, the world as a whole is on a downward spiral that's spoken of in many places in Scripture, and this will continue until the Lord returns. Finally, most of those predicting revival are extreme charismatics who teach that God is raising up super apostles to lead the Church in establishing the kingdom so that Christ can return, and that's a completely unbiblical idea. It was interesting The first email that you were referring to talked about this man as a prophet, and of course, we don't see that in Scripture either. David, this week, I thought that we should spend some time talking about something that we haven't discussed very much here on the broadcast, which is living in light of our own mortality. Now, this past year of the COVID pandemic, has probably caused many of us to think more about death than we usually do. Would you not agree? Well, yes, I would. I have to admit that death is certainly something I've thought about this year, maybe more than previously. Uh, One, I'm 62 years old and in a higher risk group, and uh, we've all had loved ones and friends or colleagues who've been sick or even died as a result of COVID-19. And I know there's been a lot of controversy surrounding the pandemic, and apparently a lot of deaths were attributed to the coronavirus that may or may not have been the actual cause of death. But I did do a bit of research, and it seems that the total number of deaths in the United States in 2020 was somewhere around 10 to 12 percent higher than each of the two previous years. So COVID does seem to have had a significant impact. But even beyond COVID, most of us have had someone we know or know of who has died recently, you know, whether it's been of cancer or heart attack or stroke or an accident or 
just of old age, and, and we're all getting older and we're all dying. So as I think about it, Jimmy, our regular listeners know we've honored some of the heroes of the faith when they've graduated to heaven, but I don't recall us discussing death too much from a biblical perspective on our weekly segment. So I do think it's good that we talk about it some. Well, David, before we get to what the Bible has to say about death, I wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about the death of Rush Limbaugh this last week. I wanted to do that because I'm sure he was well known to many of our listeners, and there are reasons to believe that he was actually a believer in Christ. Well, you know, Jimmy, I started listening to Rush back in about 1991, and I, I think it was uh, it was every day at work that I listened, and he was a pioneer of conservative talk radio. Now, a lot of people didn't get him, and a lot of people didn't like him or his politics, but on the other hand, a lot of people loved him, too. And because of his conservative views and some of the things he would occasionally say, I wondered if he was a Christian, and I held out hope that his brother David, who's an outspoken believer, would have an influence on him. And over the past year, since he announced his terminal cancer diagnosis, he made several statements about his faith, and we have an audio clip that I wanted our listeners to hear. So this is what Rush said on October 19th. You know, all in all, I feel... uh very blessed to be here speaking with you today. And it's still true. You know, I wake up every day. Thank God that I did. I go to bed every night praying I'm going to wake up. It's a blessing when you wake up. And every day thus results in me feeling more and more blessed hearing from you, knowing that you're out there praying and everything else you're doing. That is a blessing. It's just a series of blessings. Someone told me, I think, um, I think this is good advice, maybe helpful. The only thing that any of us are certain of is right now, today. I mentioned at the outset of this, I think the first day I told you that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is of uh, immense value, strength, confidence. And that's why I'm able to remain fully committed to the idea that what is supposed to happen will happen when it's meant to. So, Jimmy, I think that what Rush just said there was very encouraging. And as I've listened to other conservative commentators on radio and TV over the years, I think that there are maybe quite a few out there who are genuine believers. You know, that's exciting to hear that testimony. And I do hope and pray that was exactly what Rush meant when he said it. I think it was what he meant. Never ever said much about anything except exactly what he did believe. Well, now let's get back to the concept of death in the Bible. What exactly, and remind everybody, what exactly is death and what kinds of death does the Bible speak about? I realize that most of our audience understands all of this, but there may be some new believers who are listening as well. Well, Jimmy, I did a search of the New King James Version in my Bible software for death and related terms like dead, die, dying, dies, and so on, and came up with 882 times in the Old Testament and 421 times in the New Testament, which altogether is over 200 times more than life and related terms are mentioned, which is interesting. So it's a major concept that we need to understand. Sometimes death is used metaphorically. For example, it's used of faith that has no value in James 2. 
and Abraham uh, and Sarah's inability to have children in Romans 4 is talked of in terms of uh, their bodies being dead. But most often, it's used of physical death and spiritual death. So physical death is when the body stops functioning and the soul departs, which Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 5.8 when he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, spiritual death is our separation from the life of God, which began when Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's the condition we're all born with, dead in trespasses and sins, as we read in Ephesians 2. Now, the second death is eternal separation from God and conscious suffering in the lake of fire for unbelievers of all of history. And we read about this in Revelation 20 concerning the great white throne judgment. And Jimmy, our eternal destiny is sealed at death. There are no second chances. As Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed unto men to die once, and after this the judgment. So we must all be prepared to die at any moment. David, as we think about death, remind us of what we do know from Scripture about what happens when a believer dies versus when a unbeliever dies and what happens between death and the resurrection, and of course then after the resurrection as well. Well, we touched on part of this a couple of weeks ago when we answered a question about the location of paradise. In the Old Testament, the place of the dead was called Sheol, and the souls of both believers and unbelievers went there. Then in Luke 16, where Jesus tells of a beggar and a rich man who died, we learn more details about life after death. The rich man was in a place of fire and physical torment, while Lazarus was in the paradise part of Sheol, referred to as Abraham's bosom. And from this, we also know there's some sort of intermediate pre-resurrection body. Then when Jesus was crucified, he told the thief next to him that he would be with him in paradise that day. So Jesus first went to paradise, not heaven, because on resurrection morning, Jesus said that he hadn't yet ascended. Then in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul calls the third heaven paradise, so the location changed when Jesus took paradise with him. Now, the torment part of Sheol, Hades or hell, remains, and the souls of unbelievers go there when they die until the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, where they're confirmed guilty and cast into the lake of fire. And since Jesus' ascension, all believers go into his presence in an intermediate body when they die, awaiting the Bema Seat, where judgment of bad works takes place and they're destroyed and good works are rewarded based on 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And then church-age saints are resurrected and given glorified bodies at the rapture. Old Testament and tribulation saints are resurrected at the second coming. And then all unbelievers are resurrected to judgment after the millennial kingdom. Very important thoughts to consider as it does relate to death. David, as we wrap it up for this week, I wanted to briefly touch on two things. The first is, how can we, you and I, minister to those who've actually lost a loved one? And then the second, before we conclude our conversation, is how that we must prepare for our own deaths. Well, Jimmy, sometimes we hear the saying, death is just a part of life, but the fact is, death is only part of life in a fallen world. Death is the antithesis of life. Death's the enemy. It brings pain and sorrow and tears and grief. You know, some seem to think that believers shouldn't mourn and grieve and that somehow it's not spiritual to do so. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul acknowledges that believers do grieve, but the difference is that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. 
And we shouldn't presume to tell others how to process their grief because it's different for every person in every situation. So we care for them through acts of kindness and a listening ear because they just need understanding and comfort. And then in preparing for death or the Lord's return, whichever comes first, for believers, we trust the Lord, we fight the good fight, and we stay faithful and watch our testimony. Uh, we should try to live without regrets in what we say and do, uh, knowing that some things that may even come to light after our death, which can be devastating for family and friends and those who've trusted us if there's some hidden sin. And for unbelievers, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life that whoever believes in me shall never perish. As God in the flesh, Jesus died for our sins and arose from the grave and gives forgiven sin and eternal life as a free gift of his grace to all who place their faith and trust in him. David, I've got to be honest. Uh, I don't fear death. I know what's on the other side. What I do have a bit of a fear about is the transition period from life unto death. And that's why I'm going to call for the rapture every single time I can. Much rather see the upper taker instead of the undertaker. But I think this was a very important discussion we should have, especially in light of the situation in our world today. You may, friend, want to go back and listen to this again it may be of a great comfort to you. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you'll find a recording of this conversation. David, thank you so much for your research and for the time spent with me in discussing this. We'll have another such type of discussion next week. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll look forward to that one. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll open the Bible, take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. My broadcast partners were excellent today as they gave their reports from the broadcast table. They came to give us more details, more details than mainstream media will ever give us, and greater insight into the stories of current events. Current events seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. In a moment, I'll give you my prophetic perspective on stories from my broadcast partners. By the way, if you had to miss any of those reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there we have archived these reports so that you can listen to them at your convenience. That's prophecytoday.com, then Prophecy Today Radio Network. By the way, be sure to tell a friend or a family member so that they can get this information as well. Now, if you'll let me have a couple of minutes, I want to give you my prophetic perspective on the main stories from each of my broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman gave us information about geopolitical events happening in the world. The main story, the Department of Defense here in America, believes that it's a real possibility that there could be a nuclear war between America and either both China and or Russia. The Bible does speak of China and Russia in the prophetic scenario for the future. But no place does it mention America. That could mean either Russia or China could overthrow America. The Bible is silent on this subject, and I would have to say that my thinking is that the rapture would take away America and make it a weak entity. David Dolan gave us his Middle East News update, President Biden finally making a phone call to Prime Minister Netanyahu. One of the reasons that God has blessed America, I must remind you, is because America has protected the Jewish state of Israel. However, the Biden administration may not work at exactly that which other American administrations had as a part of their foreign policy. May I say, if America shuns Israel, they do it at their own peril. Steve Herzig came with a story, a beautiful story, about Purim. Uh, you should read the entire book of Esther, which is actually the record of God's protection to the Jewish people. Protection at that time, and protection during the coming time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation period. Without Purim, there would have never been a Jesus Christ. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us. He talked about China as the European Union's largest trading partner. China is mentioned as one of the kings of the East in the Bible, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. 
China does have a desire today to be number one economically in this world. A major trading partner with the European Union is helping to set that stage for China to be fulfilled in the very near future. However, as you look at the scriptures, you see China will be that major player in partnership with the Antichrist. That's Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 to 16. Dr. Don DeYoung gave us a report on the Land Rover that landed on Mars. This report is more evidence of the glory of the Lord, which is talked about in Psalm chapter 19. It also provides the foundation for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, and that from the witness of Jesus Christ. Remember in Revelation chapter 1, verse 11a, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator and the one who allows Bible prophecy to be fulfilled in the last days. And David James, with our weekly conversation, came to discuss with me the issue of death. Remember what he mentioned about Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. That is key. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Please make certain that you are prepared for death. It's as simple as ABC. You must admit that you are a sinner. We all have been born in sin, and God sets the standard. Then we must believe that God sent his Son. Not only did he set the standard, but sent his Son to be our substitute for that sin by dying on the cross, being buried, and resurrected after three days and three nights. Once you admit and then believe, all you need to do is call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to give you eternal life. I said it was as simple as A, admit, B, believe, and C, call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you had to miss any of those reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there we have archived these reports so that you can listen to them at your convenience. That's prophecytoday.com, then Prophecy Today Radio Network. By the way, be sure to tell a friend or a family member so that they can get this information as well. You know, as I said, the truth be known, I would rather see the rapture than death. Now, I'm not afraid of death. I know what's on the other side. Again, I mentioned that my concern is the transition period. Either way, however, God has me covered. By the way, that rapture that we are talking about is very close at hand. Everything we talked about on the broadcast today gives us tangible evidence that it could indeed happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.